Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling of the Star Tribune at TCO Performance Center in Egan, where the Minnesota Vikings are in the middle of week two of training camp. we got plenty of storylines we will get to from Daniil Hunter's one-year patchwork deal to stay a Minnesota Viking. He says he wants to be a Viking, quote, forever. Uh, There's a lot to be done for that to be the case. We'll get into that. We'll get into Dalton Reisner coming and visiting a starting left guard for the Broncos the last four years and what that means for the roster and certainly what they think about the roster and then into some camp observations, possible roster moves, takeaways, all that kind of stuff. But Ben, let's start with what had Brian Flores so happy earlier this week to have Daniil Hunter under contract for at least this year, knowing that he's got at least some semblance of a pass rush outside of whatever blitzes he'll be scheming up. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot easier to scheme blitzes when you have a player that is a legitimate threat, no matter whether he is accompanied by extra pass rushers or he's part of a four-man rush. Daniil Hunter did not have his best season last year and certainly has some things to prove, but he is by far the most established and probably the most skilled pass rusher on this roster, at least of the the players that we know about. So having a player like that back for Brian Flores, I think just makes life easier. I mean, there's a lot that you still have to figure out with this defense, but I think if you have a pass rusher like that, that you can design things off of, that will help them quite a bit with what they want to do. Well, I wasn't in on his comments. Uh, He addressed the reporters, uh, a gaggle of them, after his first practice. He's still not fully practicing. We'll get into the plan that the team has for him, but there's little concern about him being ready for September 10th. But what stood out to you about what he had to say for the first time since really last season he hadn't spoken publicly? Well, I mean, he's a man of few words. He's not a guy that's going to come out and tell you everything that he's thinking or feeling, but... You know, I I think in some ways for him to get it done, and you heard a little bit of that, just the the not relief, I guess, but just you know some sense of of uh, structure, I guess, to to have that to go off of now helps him out and helps him go back to work this year. I I don't think it was ever an issue of being bitter with teammates or the coaching staff. I I don't think these. I mean, these things never. Well, almost never go to that level. It has more to do with the people you're negotiating with and just the principle of how much you want to be paid. So I, I think it's more that, and I think he's been able to compartmentalize that. I think a lot of the time they spent, that he and Kevin O'Connell spent together, was um, important to this whole thing. And uh, you, know, you heard some of that come out. But the I want to be a Viking forever thing, I don't know. Um, I Like you said, there's a lot to make that happen. And I would be surprised if that is, in fact, where we end up. Um, I got asked this yesterday. I think I was on KFAN. And um, do you think it's more likely that Kirk Cousins or Daniil Hunter is a Viking in 2024? I said Kirk Cousins. I still think that's more likely than Daniil Hunter. We'll see how this year goes. But I think there's a lot that has to happen for Daniil Hunter to be here. And yes, he needs a new contract, but I think there's also a lot that has to get reframed in terms of how everybody thinks about the situation for a set of negotiations on a long-term deal to be productive, given how hard it was just to get to this point. I mean, there were people in the organization, I think as, as late as Saturday, 
and it gets done late Saturday night, but earlier in the day Saturday and even through the week last week that didn't seem sure that it was going to happen. So, you know, that kind of tells you how much effort it took to get this thing across the finish line. And and I think um, it's it's a good thing for everybody for now, but there's a lot to figure out on a long-term deal going forward if there's going to be one. Yeah, the Vikings obviously have him and Marcus Davenport now in the starting lineup, um, both on one-year deals. They have a lot to figure out for their pass rush in general moving forward. Beyond this year, um, Brian Flores has this kind of experimental group that can change, and, and they could really start all over on that front next year. And we've talked at length and ad nauseum about uh, the saga that really has been Daniel Hunter and the Minnesota Vikings in terms of contracts and what he wants and and clearly how the Vikings view him as more in this range of $17 million, uh guaranteed yeah. on, and for one year to bring him back. And, and that's more his market, what he's worth. He, he pocketed $20 million last year. Um, he certainly probably thinks he's worth a lot more than that. Uh, the top pass rushers get what north of thirty. Yeah, I mean Aaron Donald does. I I don't know. I think the Bosa's. I, I think there's Excuse a Bosa me. out there's making twenty seven, twenty eight, or something like yes, that. Yes, I believe there is a Bosa. <laughs> uh, I think it's I think it's the Chargers Bosa that's making that. Joey. Yeah. Yes, I don't think Nick is getting quite that. TJ Nick Watt is holding out right now. Yeah, TJ so Watt's getting twenty eight. Joey Bosa. 27, Miles Garrett 25, um, Max Crosby 23-5. So yeah, it, there there are a few in that range, but not not a ton. It's a big it's a big gap to bridge though if you're the Minnesota Vikings and Hunter. If this is what they view him as, which is 17, 20, maybe million compared to the top of the market, certainly. And Daniel's got a chance this season to show that in what is really a, a contract year. Still, he can be a he will be a free agent next March. I believe this deal also. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, comes with a no franchise tag. It does, yes. Addendum, so they can't do anything like that to try to keep him after this year. They would have to pay him the multi-year deal that he's been seeking, the new one that he's been seeking for three years now. Um, so moving At least. F- at least publicly seeking for three years. Maybe longer than that. I mean, he signed true. it five years ago. That's true. He made, gosh, I think it was 2019 when he became the youngest player to 50 sacks. Yep. And he, yeah, basically by 2019, he had already outdone the deal he signed 2018. Um, the deal and, looked good for them in 2018 when he signed it. It looked even better because 2019, what 2018, 2019 seasons were probably his best. So yeah. those were the 14 and a half sack years, and it's like, boy, oh boy, this guy's like the 18th highest paid pass rusher in the league, and is possibly on a Canton trajectory. This is a good deal. Well, to finally talk about football with him, what do you think when Brian Flores is saying, I, I like him moving forward more? I would imagine Daniil and Brian Flores <laughs> agree quite strongly on that. I don't think he was thrilled with the times where he was not moving forward, where he was dropping into coverage with Ed Donatel's defense last year. There will be some of that still, probably, but... I don't think you're going to see a lot of it. I mean, I think if, especially if there are weeks where they are playing a little bit more 4-3 or they're in four down fronts in sub packages, you're going to see him probably on the defensive line more than you did last year. And, and Brian Flores said you know, players will have freedom on that, whether they want to be in a three-point stance or a two-point stance. And Hunter has done both. He, he did that when he was playing defensive line. He would stand up sometimes because he would pop up. And Andre Patterson used to say, just, just do it. Just go with – what you've been doing if you're going to pop up. So that probably doesn't matter a ton, but some of the rush angles obviously change if you're playing defensive line as opposed to playing outside linebacker. So 
Uh, how that gets worked out, we'll see. But I, I think certainly <laughs> being able to come in and say, I am almost exclusively a pass rusher, and I don't have to worry about as much of the other stuff, is probably the best use of his skill set. I mean, that it's this is going to sound weird, but it reminds me a little bit of Cordero Patterson in the sense that Cordero Patterson for a year had established this is what I do really well, and there is a template to use me effectively. That, that got established in 2013. 2014 comes around. Norv Turner says, no, we want you to be an X receiver, and, and you want to learn. we want you to learn the whole route tree, do all the stuff, beat press coverage, all this kind of stuff, and it didn't work. And then he leaves, and another team say, hey, wait a minute. Why don't we go back to this other stuff that he did in 2013 when he was – a pro bowler as a rookie and looked like he might light the league on fire. Um, and lo and behold, he's been an awfully productive player for the rest of his career since then. So it feels like a little bit of that to me. And, and that's probably a more drastic example than this is with Hunter, but there's a little bit of, why don't we use him in the ways that he's proven he's really good and not mess with it, especially when you don't have a lot of other terribly accomplished pass rushers as it is. Yeah, and as Daniil and his camp, I'm sure, have argued, what he does really well is incredibly valuable. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas with Cordero, he's almost been pigeonholed in the, most, the cheapest position at running back um, because it's not. Whereas Daniil's got this incredible gift to beat other 315-pound men or 6'5", to get to quarterbacks. And we've seen it over and over when he's healthy. He's, a, he's been a pro bowler each of the last three years he's played. But those two years that we talk about with him being injured took a chunk out of his prime. He's 29 this year, and that surely impacted his trade value and what the Vikings were probably fielding for him and why he's still here. And it puts the Vikings in general still on that competitive rebuild trajectory that we keep talking about um, where they're trying to keep this thing afloat while redoing things. And they don't have long-term answers as we talk about a pass rusher or really much on defense in general until we see what these young kids got. I mean, if if you were to rank the most important positions on a football team, I think you would argue in some order. I mean, quarterback is number one. Nobody would dispute that. You'd have edge rusher, cornerback, left tackle Offensive probably. Tackle. Yeah. Um, yep. So of those four, any wide receiver, you'd probably say and I'd, somewhere in there. And I'd even tone it down to like number one wide receiver. Right. Like right. that is the thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. So if we yeah. think about that, quarterback, they don't know. Yeah. Edge rusher, after this year, they don't know. Cornerback, they have options, but they don't know. Left tackle, they know. Wide receiver, they know. Wide receiver one, they know. And both of those guys are due for new contracts. But when both of those guys are Christian Darisaw, Justin Jefferson are due for new contracts, you don't know about quarterback edge rusher and cornerback mm -hmm. those are expensive very very important positions to yeah. solve so when we talk about competitive rebuild and not really knowing where this goes that's an illustration of that in the sense that there are a lot of spots that are really really important and really pricey to solve that they don't have figured out maybe it all gets worked out with all the players they currently have but there's a long way from here to there. Yeah, and, and it'd be one thing, too, if you had that young guy you drafted that you thought, boy, I can't wait to see him in a bigger role this year. And it's almost like Patrick Jones has to be that guy right now. Yeah. Or Andre Carter comes out of nowhere, even though he's never played an NFL down at this point, the undrafted rookie. Um, they don't have much. DJ Wanham is also in a contract year. So technically the top three rushers are out of contract in March. Yep. Um, that puts you in a spot where long-term – 
you're saying, okay, what is this season about? We're not really all in. Um, but we're now we got Hunter and we're going to try and see, I guess, and it, what, what these pieces do is from, certainly from a coaching standpoint, they'll talk about how it allows them to evaluate the whole a lot better. Like they'll get a better glimpse of a Caleb Evans because they've got a good pass rush now, Sure. as opposed to just, well, Caleb, you get beat because the guy can hold the ball for five seconds every time. Yep. And we don't yep. know much about you. Yep. Um, so it, that does help in that sense and having a competitive team, but you just, Quasey talked about it. You see other teams do it differently. <laughs> And the Vikings have taken this approach, and, and the Hunter decision was a big one in that vein. Do we think, and I, we might have gotten into this a couple of weeks ago too, but when Quasey talks about that, mm-hmm. about it being different than the, the way other teams do it, do we think there's a little bit of a breadcrumb that he's leaving there in terms of other teams employing me might ask me to do it differently if <laughs> I was working for another team. Not that he's just, asking just, to be doing that. He's, but he's made no attempts to try and hide um, the peculiarity of the marching orders he's perhaps been given. He hasn't like necessarily alluded to, I've been told this or that, but he has very often said, like, hey, this is our reality, and yeah, there could have been other ways to do it. So he keeps putting the, the, you know, the horse right next to the water. <laughs> yes, yes. And when you have ownership, when, whenever Mark Wilf talks, yeah. we expect to be super competitive, usually comes out of his mouth. Yes. Yep. So, yes, it is a really interesting line they are trying to walk because I mean, we talk about money beyond this year, um, and this is, this is from over the cap. And this is not with Daniel Hunter's new deal in there yet, so this will, this number will change somewhat in terms of dead money. But even before any of that got done, Daniel Hunter, Kirk Cousins have forty three point four million dollars of dead money on next year's cap. So this is still, and we talk about kind of getting all this stuff cleared off the cap. They're only going to have something like fifty million dollars to spend with a quarterback, an edge rusher, a wide receiver, a left tackle that all need to get done. And yes, if you do a deal with Cousins, you do a deal with Hunter, those numbers will come down. You can work out deals that will drop those numbers from where they currently stand. The dead money that's there right now does not have to exist in the same form in 2024, depending on how they structure things. But it is we are not looking at the Vikings being the Chicago Bears in terms of yeah they have a lot of needs to fill but they have all this cash to spend they have a lot of needs to fill and don't have all that much money comparatively to a lot of teams that may be in a similar situation and they've got some cornerstones that they've got to pay well it's it's a weird situation where you feel like yeah as you said they've got maybe three of those top positions answered but some key ones that are just glaring question marks where it's not even hey maybe if this guy pops they've got something it's it's boy you got to hit on a caleb evans and josh metellus this year and uh who's the third mckay blackman or Jawan williams yeah or andrew booth who walked off with a trainer yesterday who was injured so a lot of question marks and we should get to one of them um that's newsy this week in the offensive line and the guard position they bring back all five starters they're one of i believe only eight teams to do that into training camp this year and they decided to potentially add some competition to that or at least evaluate it and bringing in dalton reisner who was a guard in denver uh, I believe he was a tackle out of Kansas State yes. a few years back uh, in the year that Bradbury came out. Yep. Um, and he started 62 games over there in Denver, played over 3,000 snaps, all at left guard. 
and they bring him in, as Kevin O'Connell says, to maybe talk about right guard as well. Yeah, or at least talk about the possibility yeah. of playing a few different spots. I mean, I, I think every single snap he's played in the regular season in the NFL has been at left guard. Um, and from what I understand, the visit ends not with a ton of optimism that a deal gets done. He left yesterday afternoon, and from the people I talked to, it didn't sound like anything was imminent. Um, they are not in a spot to offer him perhaps the best package of what he might find on the market, whether it's uh, promise immediately that you're going to start at your preferred position or contract. Um, As we just talked about their financial picture. Yes. Yeah. yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think that could have been part of it, but the fact that they brought in a guy that knows Chris Cooper, knows Justin Riscotti, their offensive line coaches, has worked with both of them and has started at one particular spot for four years is interesting because it either means they are not sold on Ezra Cleveland, who's a free agent after this year, or they are thinking about moving Ed Ingram, who was their second-round pick a year ago, out of the lineup and putting Dalton Reisner in that spot. Or you know maybe it's, well, we need depth, but I don't know that Dalton Reisner is going to agree to a job where it's, well, you're going to come in and compete for a starting spot. And maybe that's what ended things anyway. But I think the fact that they're looking at a guy of that caliber and not just like a, hey, this is somebody who could start in a pinch is interesting to – and it's one of those things that's even if nothing gets done, it's telling and it's worth filing away the implications from that. It's interesting because it it paints the picture, goes into the context of how all of the front office's comments and commitments about this interior offensive line have been pretty tepid, especially when compared to O'Connell's often glowing comments about everybody. But he continued to say that this group's off to a strong start, talking about the offensive line when asked about the free agent visit. Um but he did at the, at the same turn would also say that competition makes everybody better. We're open to making this thing better. Um, and you have to be, because when you look at the numbers and we watched all the games over and over, yep. um, Ed Ingram stepped on Kirk Cousins foot like three times. Netflix made it very clear. If anybody forgot that stuff, Netflix gave you a reminder. Yeah. Of the all hits that stuff. Kirk took, um, he was the third most sack quarterback, the most hit quarterback most hit quarterback in the league. I think by 12 hits, that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah, it was not close. <laughs> um, and so with with their guards right now, Ezra Cleveland is a free agent. I talked to him this week or last week, and he had said there hadn't really been any talks about an extension that he became eligible for this offseason. Um, their commitment to Garrett Bradbury was a three-year deal, but it was just one year, $5 million guaranteed for this year. And then we'll see. Uh, and then Ed Ingram obviously was the second-round rookie who went through a lot of growing pains last year. So I guess – we should, yeah duh that they bring in a guy to try to <laughs> kind of figure it out it's just it's it's hard to see it when we hadn't seen them in pads since january um and kevin o'connell is often glowing about all these guys yeah it's worth remembering i think too that kevin o'connell and quesito flamenza did not draft ezra cleveland or garrett yeah. bradbury they drafted ed ingram uh they did not draft christian derisaw or brian o'neill either in case there is a uh 33rd team contributor that wants his flowers for those picks. Um, but they they don't have any long-term commitments to guys like Ezra Cleveland or Garrett Bradbury. I mean, yeah. Bradbury, I think, was you know probably the best of what they were going to be able to do. I, th- that contract has a little bit of that feel of, well, yeah, 
the market isn't great to replace you, so we'll bring you back and give it another try. But there's no, like, you're our guy sort of message from that contract. And the fact that Ezra Cleveland has not made substantive progress, as he's talked to you about, on a new deal, squares kind of with what I've heard in terms of how they feel about him. It's like, yeah, there's potential there, but he's got a lot to prove. He's got a lot to show this year that he can stand up to dynamic pass rushers in the middle of those lines, which we see a lot more often in terms of teams putting guys in those spots to take advantage of the middle of the line. Kirk Cousins takes a lot of hits directly up the middle. That's where the the, the front side, his left side, when he's throwing, gets hit so often. I mean, it's the rib stuff. He cracked one in, in 2021. Netflix showed over and over and over him getting hit on that side. Uh, as he's stepping into throws and or trying to fall away from hits. So you have to have a plan to protect him in those spots. And I think a lot of the bring in Dalton Reisner, who's a good pass protector and is a bigger guard, is a reflection of probably how they feel about that group and some of the uncertainty that still exists there. Yeah, and, and really Cleveland was honest about this when, when I talked to him about how he needed to get stronger this offseason and he felt like his pass protection needed to get better and that Chris Cooper, the offensive line coach, was really trying to work with him on some of the pass protection yeah. techniques. And this was an offense that Kirk Cousins attempted a career high in passes last year because this offense throws so much under a former NFL quarterback yes. as the head coach. Um, and former Sean McVay offensive coordinator. <laughs> yeah, and so Cleveland needs to – they could live with him being a subpar run blocker, but his thing is he's a better run blocker than he is a pass protector. Yes. And that worked under Mike Zimmer. Yep. And I don't think that works as well under O'Connell, and they need that to change. And Ed Ingram wasn't you know very good at much of anything last year. So, they of course, they bring in a guy to, to take a look. But with Cleveland, this is really a prove-it year for him under O'Connell to see that – can he show that growth around better pieces around him in terms of Josh Oliver and Darisaw potentially on one side of him? Bradbury's still there, somebody he knows uh, and can communicate with uh, and work well together with. So the, there aren't really any excuses, I guess, going into this year for him. Um, and I guess it would be interesting, too, that if they were looking at Reisner, you know, they would obviously need to see how he fit into everything, but that would be another option they could evaluate this year for long term yep. that they just don't have right now beyond these two guys we're talking right. about. Right. He's not like he's 32. Yep. I mean, he's he's a year older than Ezra Cleveland or a draft class older than Ezra Cleveland. But it is interesting, and you touched on it there, um, the thing we heard about Garrett Bradbury and Ezra Cleveland coming out was the same. It's these guys are not the biggest – because Ezra Cleveland initially was supposed to be the left tackle of the future. He yeah. was supposed to be the guy that took over for Riley Reef. I think Rick Spielman talked about Riley keeping the or holding down the fort until Ezra Cleveland was ready to be the left tackle. But you heard the same thing about both those guys. Is they are they're not the biggest, they're not the best at in pass protection dealing with guys who are more powerful than them, but they're athletic, they're mobile, they're able to get to the second level in that outside zone scheme. We're not in that world anymore. It's mid-zone stuff. It's probably a little bit more gap scheme stuff than we saw in the past. I think we'll see more of that this year. And it's certainly throwing the ball a lot more, emphasizing throwing the ball a lot more than they did in the past. So you, you have still a little bit of this square peg round hole thing, I think, on that line, at least in terms of the body types and the skill sets that they want, that you're trying to figure out if we can make this work, that's easier for everybody because you have guys that are here right now but I think there's a lot to figure out how much the pieces they have and still retain are the ones that can fit with what they want to do in the long term. 
And I think it's telling that they've moved last year's swing tackle, Blake Brandle, to guard this offseason. And he's always been capable of playing both, but they've he hasn't taken any tackle reps for Brian O'Neill. It's been all Ole Udo. And then when Udo, I think, missed like one day, it was Vidarian Lowe. So they're trying to evaluate Brandle, and they're trying to evaluate Austin Schlotman at that other guard spot. And it's been second-year undrafted center Josh Sokol as the backup center. And it really, in, if they played tomorrow, it would be Schlotman. Uh, but it's not Chris Reed who's injured. And so their depth is really kind of tenuous to the point where they're moving guys around to figure out what can our pieces be at guard. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. And I think if Chris Reed is there, he's maybe your backup center. Although he was Shloman the third center last there. year. Yeah, yeah. So, and Schloman started there and then got hurt. Yep, and Chris yep. Reed comes in after that and has the infamous um, – the false start at Lambeau Field where he's holding the ball and everybody else moved because they got the snap count wrong. Um, yeah, there's a lot to figure. I mean, it, it was interesting. I think I saw some ranking this week of the best offensive lines in the NFL, and the Vikings, I think, were ranked in the top ten largely. I mean, it, it, the rea- I had the same reaction that you did. And, and it <laughs> yeah. was kind of a, a puzzled face <laughs> that Andrew made for those who are listening to this non-visual medium. They got ranked there largely because they have really good tackles on both sides. The two which, most important positions, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, which is – I think. It's important, and it's been a long time since we've been able to say they are set at both tackles, assuming Brian O'Neill continues to recover. But there is a lot to figure out in the middle of this thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's tough because, I mean, you, you sit here and make the shopping list. It, it's not a short shopping list. And the only way to do that without a huge bank account to just outspend everybody is you have to hit on a lot of draft picks. Mm -hmm. And they didn't have a bunch this year. They'll be back to a full complement of them next year. But if you wanted to move up and get a quarterback, you're going to spend their um, comp picks. I think they'll get one, if I'm trying to remember. Uh, I can't can't remember. It's not like Um, they're going to get a boatload of them there, I don't think. Yeah, I don't know. but either way, your point, yeah, point made in that they've got so hard, a lot of needs, not a lot of yeah. resources. Hard shopping errand to complete success. They need some growth. They need some rookie contracts yes, to come up and pop, like a Caleb Evans who you're talking to, writing about. Let's get into him because we should get into camp observations with the last 10 minutes here um, and just stuff that stood out to us because that those corner spots are changing uh, once they got into pads, it was third-round rookie Makai Blackman who was getting a lot of first-team run as the number three corner while Juwan Williams was working with the second team. It had been the veteran Williams throughout the start of camp before pads were put on. Um, that's going to change. It's going to change through preseason, through joint practices as they evaluate these guys. And it'll be really interesting to see who they land on. But one constant has been a Caleb Evans, yep. even though he's got next to no experience. Yeah, they seem to be fairly excited about him. And the question with him is, is he beyond the concussions? And a lot of what I talked to him about this week is kind of the steps he's taking to not have that become an issue again. He's wearing the the new concussion, not concussion safe, but the idea, the design of the helmet is meant to prevent concussive hits being as likely um, and then he's also experimented with a cue collar, which is something you put um, kind of – well, it's a collar. It's You put it around your underneath your shoulder pads to, I think, keep your neck from jostling quite as much. And Is it like what fullbacks wear? 
Uh, no, it's not a neck roll. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Matthew Collar, it's not a neck roll. Um, it. I think Tony Pollard has used it. I, I think it's, oh, a, it's harder think, to see, okay. I think, than that is. Okay. But Evan said it's not the most comfortable thing. He said he doesn't love it. Um, you know, I think the helmet, too, he said it's heavier just because there's more cushioning in it. And, um, there's some things to figure out. But he also knows, like, I can't continue to have concussion issues because yeah. not only is it your career it's your livelihood at that point your i mean your quality of life i mean i guess your career financially is your livelihood but it's your quality of life after you're done playing which the amount of time after you're done playing could be a lot longer because your career could be a lot shorter if you continue to have issues so it was refining tackling technique it was trying to keep his head out of it more i think that was a, a thing that i mean he said I just I w- got in the habit of just going in and trying to blow guys up all the time and just understanding you don't have to do that all the time and there are better ways to go about it and better ways to learn it. But if he can figure all that out, I think he's certainly intriguing. I, he, he's had some good moments, I think, in seven-on-sevens, and he is more athletic than people realize. I mean, his his relative athletic scores coming out of the draft were actually pretty good. And uh, rangy guy that should be able to press, should be able to do a lot of the things that they want – if he can figure it out, it's a it's a tall order as yeah. a second year corner, but I think you see a lot of what there is to work with. He was really good last year. Uh, obviously, they were playing more zone and backing off, but he was really good at crashing that space and tackling last year, and, and <laughs> obviously too reckless um, with his body on that front. But the big question is going to be yeah, covering man to man because they're going to be asked to do that a lot under Brian Flores, and it's going to be a change in technique, change in where his eyes need to be, um, a change in a lot of things uh, that all of these guys are going through right now. And uh, I think Caleb Evans is one of those defenders on that rookie contract that if he is an answer of any kind, that is going to make this kind of season a a success. And those are going to be the stories that make it a success, not necessarily the win-loss total, assuming that this is not a Super Bowl contender. Yeah, I mean, I think the division is up for grabs enough that winning the division is not out of the question. But can they go on a deep run? That's a really hard thing to sit here and say on August 2nd just because it does depend, like you said, on so many of these guys we just don't know about yet. And and they know more than we do. They've seen them in practice that we haven't seen during the regular season. They have seen them in off-season workouts that we haven't seen. You know, We only are here once a week during the off-season. So they have certainly more to evaluate and more to – base their opinions of these guys on than we do but nothing's like a game nothing's like the real thing i was just gonna say coach you also hear coaches say that a lot of times you don't know until you get these guys in games and that's why the preseason is still valuable to coaches for the younger guys who don't have the game experience to see how they react when those lights turn on and how they play and whether or not it's consistent and if it carries over because the pressures are different, your anxieties are different, how you handle it and how individuals handle it ranges for the guys, especially who didn't play in the SEC and in front of 110,000 people like Justin Jefferson did. Yeah, Caleb Evans did um, in Missouri. Sure, but, yeah. Yep. But that's yeah. not playing your home games in front of the same crowd. Yeah. Um, what else has stood out to you as we've been watching these practices here? We should get to the injuries, I guess, too. Um, speaking yeah. of corner, Andrew Booth, the often injured corner, appeared to get injured yesterday. He left early with a trainer, which is generally an indication yep. of something going wrong. But we have no official word on that at this point. Um, didn't look like he was limping a ton. I, I didn't see no. what happened, but he walked right by me when he came off. And it, it was, you know, trainer was with him, mm-hmm. but it did not look like he was needing assistance or anything like that 
Yeah, it wasn't as bad as uh, receiver Tristan Jackson, who was a practice squad guy last year, former Rams undrafted, I believe, player. Um, was making another bid for probably at least a practice squad spot this time around because he was looking pretty good. Yeah, he had a good camp so far. And it seemed like he blew out his knee. Yeah, it certainly had that look. It, it, I think, well, we shouldn't speculate on exactly what it is, but it had the look of blowing out your knee, yes. Yeah, he um, yelled in pain, uh, trainers, teammates, everybody came around him. Justin Jefferson spoke about it yesterday. Yep. Um, it felt the need to address that just because, yeah, it looked like a pretty bad injury. Yeah, and, and when Kevin O'Connell and Kwesi Adolfo come over, he's down for a while, gets yeah. carted off. And the way everybody reacted, and we've seen these things enough to yeah. um, not come away from it feeling terribly optimistic about his – at least his short-term health. And then because these things come in threes, uh, Alexander Madison also seemed to be uh, gimpy and sat out practice yep. at the end. And uh, Kane Wongwu wasn't at practice yesterday for a reason we don't know yet. Um, but Ty Chandler, Dwayne McBride got so much work that CJ Ham had to come in and play running back for Alexander Madison at the end of practice. Got a little ham and month sandwich there at the end. <laughs> there was there was some CJ Ham throwback to his Augustana South Dakota days as a running back yeah. with Johnny Munt at tight end. Yep. Um, and so with Madison hobbling off, I was able to talk to him afterward, and he was going in for presumably an MRI or some kind of scan on a lower body injury because he was limping, and he said I should be okay. So. That's one where it's August. It was August first when that happened. Uh, it's probably not a long term concern, but we'll have to wait and see on that and get more information. Um, that running back backfield, though, Ben, I, I don't know if they've got the second running back on the roster. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to figure out there because Kenny Wongwu has not played in every down role, mm-hmm. and this is what you, this is year three of that yeah. now, or I think he's had at least a couple of, I mean, yes, it'll be year three for him. He's 2021 pick. Yeah. Yes. So he's had a year with Mike Zimmer. He's had a year with Kevin O'Connell mm-hmm. where they have not sort of put him in that capacity. And he's athletic enough that if it's going to click, you'd think somebody would say, Oh, we got to get this guy in the game a little bit more often. So he's got a lot to prove. Ty Chandler, they like, um, but he hasn't done it in the NFL either. So, and we talk about a pass heavy offense. Can you yeah. pass protect? Right, right. That has been the big question with him is, is he going to be able to do that? So yeah, there's a lot to try to get figured out there. And the way they've talked about Alexander Madison certainly makes it sound like it's not just, I mean, he's, he's, there's going to be more of a group feel to it. It's not going to be Dalvin cook, but the way they talk about him seems like it's more in the Dalvin Cook direction than the just, oh, it's going to be you know, a three-headed monster sort of thing. This gives me the vibe of like the more they talk about Alexander Madison, the less I feel like they think the other guys are yeah. right. And then if they talk up the other guys, then it's like you can see the meter going back to like, no, it's going to be more of a split uh, workload. Because in the offseason, you heard them talking up the guys in the backfield. And ever since, it's been like, Alex is a three down back. We trust, you know, and don't get me wrong. I think Alexander Madison is truly the guy that can fill that workload. I think he can do it, but I also think they might need him to do it. Yeah. I think that may be the case. If, uh, if you were sitting, listening to this, making your, uh, fantasy football auction (laughs) budget, you may, uh, infer from what we're saying that you might want to spend a a little more on Alexander Madison. And if if you're in my league listening to this, um, like 10 bucks tops, (laughs) Um, I would cap it there. You think, uh, you think Dwayne McBride's going to have a big year? Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, I I think that's the, if you're in my league, that's, 
That's how I'm planning to play it. I shouldn't be telling you this, but that is definitely how I'm going to go. It's also August 2nd, and Ty Chandler could set the world on fire in three preseason games and four joint practices and suddenly earn that role and develop quickly here because we're just getting started. Um, So who knows? But there's just so many running backs out there that when I was watching Dwayne McBride fumble the ball in practice and I was watching – Ty Chandler not do great in pass protection drills, at least for the portion I saw. I found myself scrolling the free agent running back list on my phone, just seeing that JD. See any names you recognize? JD McKissick's out there, Kareem Hunt's out there. Like I just think there's anybody else. Uh, Dalvin Cook is out there. That's the one I was getting at. (laughs) I don't think it's going to happen. But no, if Madison's injury were serious, yeah, yeah, obviously maybe, but uh, obviously maybe. Um, maybe I should say. It's like an Oasis album, almost (laughs) definitely. Maybe is the album. Um, Shout out my grand. Uh, but there's enough running backs out there that, and those prices are going to drop as the week one gets near, and people want seats in the in the musical chairs. So, people are going to want to play, um, and those prices are eventually going to drop, and that's what all these teams are betting on. Um, what else has stood out? I think at wide receiver, when you talk, the top three are obvious, right? We finally see Jordan Addison on the field, and he looks very much as advertised. Yeah, very shifty. Um, has made some more catches in traffic than I think you would have expected knowing how big or how slight of build he I guess he is probably a better way to put it coming out of USC he's looked better I think against press coverage he's looked better making catches over the middle than we would have thought and uh, (laughs) the body control stuff with him is really impressive Um, if if that transfers to games and you have him and Justin Jefferson (laughs) it could be a, a headache for defenses to try to handle that. He had a toe tap touchdown catch where you talk about the body control going up to get it. And I mean, those are things that you see veterans do. And I, I think back to pe- players that weren't good, uh, even top picks that the Vikings have drafted at receiver who you could just tell even in their camp that it was awkward going up to get the football and it just didn't look natural. And natural is the word you heard so much with Jefferson. Um, obviously Addison is a more compact player he's his ceiling literally is not as tall as justin jefferson yep nor is his outlook as a player next to justin but he has some built-in leverage i think who used that phrase yesterday was it brian flores talking about that was ivan pace ivan pace yeah, yeah. but yes that's <laughs> the guy's five yeah. seven or whatever vertically five, challenged i've heard that one or uh, kyle rudolph <laughs> talked about my separation is more vertical meaning yeah. i'm tall but not the fastest guy in the world built-in leverage is a really nice way of saying He's short, but it's not always a bad thing. Yeah, but he gets everything. Addison seems to get everything out of his 5'11 frame or 6 foot or whatever they list him as. So um, I think he is everything that they they wanted in a player. Uh, We'll just have to see if he, you know, goes the speed limit from here on out. Yeah, I mean, that's been the that's the one knock to this point. And I'm sure people roll their eyes when we bring it up. But, you know, that that is the. Hey, it's that, the question at this point sound, with him is I'm not the dad here, but I don't mean no. to say, that could have been really bad. It could have. Yeah. So. And it, it's <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, the head coach is a dad, um, so I'm sure he reacted to it probably in a, a similar five? fashion. How many kids? Four. Four. Yes. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's a it's one of those judgment things that I'm sure they said, come on, we don't need this. But yeah, if if he's learned from it and he continues to produce the way he has and makes good decisions off the field it yeah it, it certainly looks like quite a potentially prolific tandem with him and justin jefferson all right and that'll be it for this episode of the access vikings podcast until next time please check out all of our work at startribune.com